The Family Ties is a true crime podcast that covers the cases of children that have been affected by the ravages of abuse, neglect, torture, starvation, assault, or any other crimes committed against children. Our mission is to give voice to the voiceless and to challenge you all to take action in your own communities to demand better protection for our most vulnerable. Listener and viewer discretion is advised due to the explicit nature of the topics that we cover. Welcome back to the Family Ties podcast, you guys. Hello, Kelly Ritchie here. Thank you for joining me today. Today is part two of our series on Adrian Jones. Before we get started, I'd like to invite each and every one of you to subscribe to my YouTube channel, like my videos, and share your thoughts and comments with me. And for those of you listening to the podcast, please rate and subscribe wherever you find your pods. And I welcome your feedback as well as suggestions and your own case recommendations. So please post away. So we're going to dive back into this horrendous case um, about seven-year-old Adrian Jones. And um, we had left off where I was describing a lot of the photographic and video evidence that was captured both by the couple, Michael and Heather, and by their surveillance system that was set up around their house. And all of this was saved. They intentionally documented this abuse. So I'm going to continue walking through at least the stuff that I visually saw photographic evidence of. And I would like to remind you that I've had to take a couple of breaks from doing this episode because it is by far one of the worst that, and I don't want to quantify these, anytime a child's life is taken or abuse occurs, it's not quantifiable, but it is, this is one of the worst cases that I've seen, probably because I've been faced with visual imagery to really compound these horrible events. So I saw extremely upsetting security camera footage of a skeletal little Adrian standing overnight in neck deep waters in the Jones's grimy swimming pool in frigid January, no less. So I already said I had to take a break on this for a little bit. This is one of those things that I just had to take a break over. Um, but I know there's true evil in this world. I, I get that. Still, when I see it, so blatantly being celebrated by torturers and abusers. I have trouble reconciling that there are people out there who get off on hurting and killing not just others, but children. So next up, Adrian was also forced to strip down naked and stand in the shower for hours on end. There's even a photograph more like, oh, it's actually a selfie, you guys, of Heather standing in front of the bathroom mirror. She's showing the shower that's boarded up. So she has her camera pointed towards the shower. So the mirror is catching this image of her taking a picture uh, from behind of this shower that's boarded up with plywood and Adrian's inside. And they've conveniently placed security cameras at angles to just document this abuse. This was fun for them. They hated this little boy so much that they wanted to document their creative torture sessions so that they could go back and relive those moments. That is true evil. Other photos include showing his swollen and busted lips and face, just so very swollen and split and bleeding. The police believe that these were self-inflicted um, as little Adrian tried to chew his way through the plyboard prison. Photos depicting him being strapped to objects like 
kitchen cutting boards and bound up in straight jacket like homemade straight jackets. Even more sadistic are the images that show him tied up with a bar of soap wedged in his mouth while a plate of food sits in front of him, his starving little face. Heather titled one of the terrible photos on her iCloud, or maybe even more than one, as the boy. Adrian was abused and starved to death by both Michael and Heather, the two people meant to care for him. And part of me just wonders, how on earth is this considered a better situation for him to live in than just the absent negligence of his mother? I I just, I can't, I can't understand. Honestly, I'd rather him be left alone in her house than this. Adrian died alone in the fall of 2015. Adrian died alone, trapped in a shower behind a large piece of plywood where he was frequently made to stand for hours on end, but he was left there to die. It took several days for him to die of starvation and all of it was on video. One of Heather's children who also lived in the household told investigators that he or she could hear Adrian screaming and begging for help. They said that he cried, I'm going to die. He or she, whoever this kid is, also reported that Heather's response to Adrian's cries for help and distress told him to suck it up. In an article about the events, the Daily Mail UK says that Heather called him the boy rather than use his given name. And um, while she and Adrian's father cared for their six girls, he was singled out for abuse of the worst kind. Now, this quote here, I do want to kind of question it because, you know, there were reports, there were calls coming in that we covered last week that were coming in on not just Adrian's behalf, but on behalf of other children that were living there that showed signs of starvation and physical abuse. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to sit here and just take this at its word and just think that the six girls had it nice, had it good. We can't do that. I'm not going to say it's as bad as what happened to Adrian, but the kids saw stuff, experienced stuff, and we should be thinking of those lives as well at this moment. Heather and Michael left Adrian's body in that shower for two entire weeks. Then the couple decided to purchase some pigs. Do you remember when she, when Heather posted on that private Facebook group that she, you know, wanted to recreate that uh, Walking Dead scene, you know, where they shot a child in the back of the head? Well, she may not have gotten her wish there, but she also did mention in that same post a year prior to this, or just a few months prior to this, I'm so sorry, because she said at Christmas of 2014, he died less than a year later. He died in February of 2015. So, I mean, she'd been thinking of it for at least a few months. Who knows how much more, but that's um, that's premeditation. Just going to say that and put that out there. So they bought these this group of, of pigs. They're not large pigs, they're smaller pigs, but they starved them to increase their hunger. And then they fed the starving pigs Adrian's starved and emaciated and rotting body. The pigs were so hungry, they did consume Adrian's remains, but some were left behind and were found by law enforcement in the livestock pen on the Jones's land um, on November 20th of 2015. So remember, he died in February, and so nobody knew that he had died. So it took almost nine months for anything further to, to happen here. No one was looking in, no one was checking, no one was asking questions, or the people who were asking questions were being completely ignored by the group that is solely responsible for making sure this does not happen. Who failed Adrian? 
like I said, everyone who's been in this story before this point, up to up to this point, has been responsible. But but who else? For starters, a former employee of Michael Jones said he had witnessed Adrian being abused. And that's not all. The couple had Michael Jones's uncle, whose name is Willie Flowers, living with them. This is the man who could have and should have saved Adrian's life. He knew of the abuse, never reported it. Willie even appears in some of the videos that contain some of uh, some proof of Adrian's abuse. Now, n- nothing is explicitly stated where he's involved or like he's participating. But honestly, you're you're participating if you're silent. Okay. Essentially, Willie Flowers gets off scot-free in this whole thing, because at that point, Kansas did not have any laws that existed that obligated someone to report abuse happening in the home. He was at Heather and Michael's home long enough to have received mail there, and his mattress and belongings were also found in their home, indicating that he had lived there up until the end of Adrian's life, and I think uh, past that, maybe. I'm not 100% sure at what point Willie Flowers moved out. Who else is responsible? Well, Missouri Children's Division made the excuse that Michael, Heather, and Adrian had moved to Kansas, but they had informed the Children's Division there of their relocation. According to the Kansas City Star, a Missouri caseworker made the following remarks in a report. I made Kansas aware that Adrian had disclosed physical abuse by his stepmother, Heather Jones, and his father, Michael Jones, during a forensic interview held in Missouri. He says, he goes on to say that, I reported that the children are homeschooled and not seen by outside members of the family on a regular basis, which heightened our concerns for the safety of the children. Yeah, they're super concerned, you guys. Clearly, they've shown a lot of concern this whole entire time. But let me just pause this right here and just remind you that Yeah, of course they're homeschooling. This is the typical move made by abusers who are looking to avoid interference or investigation into the abuse they're perpetrating. Um, Another big red flag was how the family, you know, just up and moved, I think more than once. This could be part of the story. I just don't have enough information behind, but it seems like their moving was very much influenced by all of this attention from the child of division's welfare. So basically all I have to conjecture is that clearly they were evading the authorities' further involvement, especially since they would not cooperate with the in-home services that were being provided by the Missouri's Children's Division. Kansas DCF Secretary Phyllis Gilmore claims they last had contact with the family in early 2012. KSHB.com reported that Gilmore said that the family's frequently altering residency between Kansas and Missouri had greatly disrupted the continuity of services and evaluation. However, she insisted Kansas child welfare officials often shared information about Adrian when known with the Missouri counterparts. Additionally, Gilmore stated that her agency thoroughly investigated each reported incident of abuse or neglect involving Adrian. I'm going to call bullshit. The following information I have gotten from this wonderful article written uh, by Dr. Jamie Schwant. He wrote an excellent piece for Foster Focus magazine titled The Horrific Story of the Boy Who Is Fed to Pigs, where he further outlines how corrupt, lazy, and criminal the child welfare system was in this case. I'm going to quote from it now. 
So you're going to see me look down. I'm going to start reading this. Former Deputy Director of DCF, Diane Keach, informed KSHB.com that she is appalled by the lack of transparency from the agency. She quit the department due to issues similar to this case. Diane stated that DCF often kept secret these type of child death cases from the public, which seems horrifying because the, the sheer amount that we do know about is beyond excessive. All of these cases that I cover, almost every single one involves welfare services. You know, if those deaths made the news, like, I wonder how many they are covering up. This is just insane. Diane remarked that it's unconscionable. When there's a child death and that child had a history with DCF, that information needs to go to the family and the public, and that agency needs to be held accountable. I agree. Diane also commented about a DCF attorney. She, the attorney, didn't feel like we should document anything related to a child's death. Let me read that again for you. The Department of Child Welfare Services didn't feel like they should document anything related to a child death. She wanted to only have verbal conversations over the phone, this lawyer did, and she said if if they took handwritten notes, they were instructed to shred them afterwards. Yet here's the most alarming remark from Diane. She said, I've personally viewed numerous deaths in Kansas where we've missed it. What an admission to make. There's a tight-lipped and secretive way that CPS and child services operate under to absolve themselves of any responsibility when they fail to do their jobs protecting children. It's just unbelievable. Now, now we're going to switch gears to the trial and ev other evidence, but um, investigators have said that this was one of the worst things they had ever seen. The Washington Post reveals that during Michael's sentencing hearing, a detective nearly broke down in tears during his remarks. He said the torture Adrian went through was unlike anything he had seen in more than two decades of law enforcement. Let that sink in for a second. This is a detective. This isn't just a cop on the beat. The Daily Mail UK article also reports that dressed in a navy blue and white striped jumpsuit and orange Crocs, Michael Jones, a 46-year-old former bail bondsman, refused to look around as Adrian's grandmother sister, and mother addressed the court. He pleaded guilty in March to first-degree murder in the 2015 death of his son. So I'm going to read here from the Daily Mail UK piece about Adrian's mother, grandmother, and sister's testimony in court. I found it really chilling. So Adrian's family, grandmother Judy Conway, sister Kiki Doctor, and mother Diane Pierce were all in courtroom 16 at the Wyandotte County District Court on Monday afternoon for the sentencing. Adrian's sister, Kiki Doctor, speaking directly to Jones, told him how he used to terrify her when she lived with him for the four years, for four years as a child. You were my father figure, she said. I remember being terrified of you because of the way you treated my mom. My mother was scared of you. She was depressed and you were abusive. I remember how she locked herself in the bathroom saying she would kill herself because you had destroyed her self-confidence or self-esteem. I thank God every day that she was not hurt, added Kiki, who also recalled Christmas Eve 2012. So, okay, 2012 was when Adrian was first taken from his biological mother's home. So she recalled Christmas Eve 2012 where Michael Jones had hugged her and given her $100 and thanked her for looking after his children. I wanted so badly to believe my siblings would be safe with you, she said. So I'm assuming that more than one child was removed from the home alongside Adrian, shifted over to Michael's. That's the impression I'm getting. She said, I wanted so badly to believe my siblings would be safe with 
with you. You are deserving of an eternity in prison with no chance of parole. You took an innocent life and my family's emotional health as well. Michael Jones's ex, Adrian's mother, Diane Pierce, added, Adrian was in your care and you took his life from him and tormented him with cruelty. You killed him in the most gruesome and hideous manner. You failed as a father, Pierce added. You were supposed to protect him, love him, kiss away his hurts, and show him how to be a great man. But you chose to murder your own flesh and blood. Detective Stuart Littlefield also spoke of the emotional effect the case had on all of the cops who had been involved. There's nothing that could have prepared us for this, he said. The abuse and torture was only compounded by the fact that Michael and Heather had systematically documented it. Nothing affected me more than when Mike told me that Heather would tase Adrian for 15 to 20 seconds at a time, added Littlefield, who then stayed quiet for 20 seconds to let the court realize how long that time was. Imagine the screams of that little boy the detective told the court. Michael and Heather have been sentenced to a minimum of 25 years to life in prison. But I, I want to kind of get into some of these, the repercussions of all of this. It's not satisfying, of course, but Adrian's biological mother is one of several people who filed wrongful death lawsuits against both states, both Missouri and Kansas. But I can't help but see her as partially to blame here. Not completely, but I think she has a lot of nerve blaming everyone else for a tragedy that kicked off with her own inability to take care of Adrian. So I'm sorry, you're not innocent here. Sorry, just not. She could have saved her son's life too. But let me clarify that I fully back and support Adrian's maternal grandmother and his older sister, who have filed these suits as well. The lawyer who is representing Adrian's grandmother, mother, and uh, sister Kiki um, stated that despite all the warning signs, the hotline calls, and the evidence of the child's mistreatment, they effectively allowed his father and stepmother to continue to abuse, torture, and ultimately murder the little boy while they stood idly by Writing it all down, the lawsuit went on to rightfully claim that the state's intervention was limited to instructing Adrian's father and stepmother to sign a piece of paper agreeing to stop abusing the boy. The legal equivalent of a pinky swear. Unfortunately, but although not surprisingly, the Missouri courts ruled against the family, stating that the social workers aren't liable for Adrian Jones's death letting child services once again slip by, not being held accountable. In fact, KCUR, Kansas City's version of NPR, reports that the Missouri Court of Appeals upheld the lower court's findings that the social workers were entitled to official immunity. That doctrine shields public employees from liability for alleged acts of negligence committed in the performance of, of discretionary acts while they're on the job. Adrian's family will not receive any justice. What if our child services across the country were based on performance metrics rather than failing bureaucratic cronyism? Why aren't social workers fired or retained depending solely on their performance? Suppose that each social worker was given a yearly review based upon the success or failure of the cases that they had handled. If a particular social worker continues to have reports made about their cases and no resolution has been made to provide that child with the adequate safety and care, not only should that employee not get a salary increase, they should be fired if they show a continued failure 
to do their job. In that case, I feel as if there would be more of an incentive to place the safety and well-being of that child as the number one priority of that social worker. What a great incentive. I mean, whoever thought of performance-based evaluations? This is just ridiculous. These bureaucracies that are bloated and cannot function, and yet we charge them with the care of our nation's children, and they do nothing but fail. The majority of the time, they fail or they don't have the resources they need to make these children a priority. Something has to change. This case was the catalyst for a state lawmaker to introduce uh, new legislation that would uh, make it possible to penalize or charge adults who don't report child abuse taking place in the home. That would include people like Willie Flowers, who turned a blind eye, and there was no legal uh, mandate that he um, report any of this at that time. This is now being called Adrian's Law. The Kansas Reflector reveals that woven into House Bill 2158, Adrian's Law mandates children alleged to be victims of abuse or neglect to be visually observed by an employee of the Kansas Department for Children and families, or a representative of the law enforcement agency investigating the report to help prevent children from falling through the cracks. Both DCF and law enforcement must interact with the child during joint investigations. But in this case, they did that at one point and still left the kid there, still left him there and just provided in-home care. So this goes deeper than that. I like the idea of this bill But while it seems like no nonsense and like, no, duh, this is not helping these people make better choices for these kids. So is DCF or is CPS, is is CPS just unable to do their jobs because they don't have enough people? Are they focusing on the wrong things? Are they pulling kids from homes like the biological mother's home in this case, only to put them somewhere worse and then just be like, look, We tried, not good enough. So I'm just going to say to you guys, this is why I'm always yammering on about this, is that it needs to change. It has to change. And we have to demand it because it's not going to happen on its own, guys. I mean, it doesn't matter how many kids continue to die or how many deaths that child services does not report according to, you know, the advice of their lawyers, This is a bigger deal than you may have thought. So anyways, this tragic case of Adrian, this seven-year-old kid, could have been, he could have been helped, he could have been saved, but over a long period of his life, it was just marred by the most heinous torture. And, you know, it's not just the fault of the, the caretakers here. It is these agencies that are supposed to step in and help. And when these two parents, this father and stepmother, refuse to cooperate, that means you have to figure something else out. Sorry for such an intense and upsetting case, you guys, but I I think it's so important. And thank you for our viewer who did recommend it. Keep recommending cases for me, please. I don't think that we could possibly 
cover enough of these children to make a difference. So I just want you guys to know that there we have to make other steps other than just bringing this to the public's attention. We have to start acting and we have to start demanding more of our local government and our these agencies. We have to start demanding that they weed out people who are not doing their jobs. I don't care what kind of union it is. That person gets fired if they cannot do their job. That's how the workforce works. Okay, so I'm going to end this by just saying thank you for joining me for today's episode. I would advise you to um, visit our website for some resources and then go click on the donate page where I've provided links to some of my favorite child advocacy programs such as EndCan and Child Abuse Now and the Coalition for Responsible Home Education to name a couple. But it's all of our responsibilities to stand up for the rights of children and their lives everywhere, all across this country. This is a fight that has nothing to do with partisan politics. Simply, it is about the children's right to live, be safe, loved, and cared for. I just want to thank you for everything that you do, too, also for this movement. So thank you, and please join the family.